Hello everyone and welcome to episode 1 of the TF Podcast. Today we're here with Mazala8 on Twitter, who is someone that I've met and I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to um, over the last year or so. Um, so I'm going to be referring to him as Jack, that's how you'd prefer to be referred to. Um, so hi Jack. Hello TF. Um, Alright, so today what we're going to be covering is basically what is our ideal midfield and what we're going to be covering is a variety of situations. So we're going to be looking at whether um, Jack and I prefer a double pivot, whether we prefer having a box-to-box, a DM and an AM, you know, what kind of midfields and what kind of players, um, both from the past and from current um, football, we would like to have in those positions. So getting straight into it, uh, Jack, where would you start off with your midfield? Okay, if it's I'm doing a single pivot, that's well, a lot of what I think of in a midfield is how in build-up how you maintain the ball centrally as long as possible. And theoretically, you think if you don't want to play to be funneled out wide, having a 2-1 midfield or a double pivot makes sense because you have an additional player deep during build-up play. But I feel a 2-1 midfield with a double pivot is often used for competition compensate for a player elsewhere or use a specific strategy to go like zonal man in midfield to try and prevent like uh, short distribution and the primary reason I went with a single pivot is because I prefer having midfield runners from deep to add more dynamism to attack which is facilitated more through having one deep and two advanced because you have more positional freedom with the two who are closer compared to two deep and then one attacking midfielder because it can often be stifling when you have two deep midfielders who are marking, and then you have the 10 who have to come deep and play, and you have less space in between the lines to link up play. But I'm, I don't really have a, since this is an idea, I like both approaches at all. It's dependent on context, but I feel you can also fit more good players in with a 1 2 setup, and I am not that obsessed with having like this magical 10. So, yeah, I prefer to have the two roaming players that you can have in more advanced positions with someone deeper holding. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. I think having a one-two gives you more creative freedom higher up in the field. I think that if you're having two midfielders that are deeper and one that's more advanced, you're limiting yourself in terms of how many players you can commit to attacks. I feel. Um, so in terms of the deeper midfielder, the one, um, what kind of traits are you looking for in that midfielder? Okay, so I'm gonna start off probably rambling about how I think being good on the ball is very important because <laughs> without having a competent ball player in a single pivot you're either forced to go along and bypass them during build-up because they can't be trusted to sustain pressure or players forced out wide for similar reasons because you want to prevent a central turnover from happening because they're dangerous and then obviously playing the ball out wide early allows the opposition to exploit the defensive utility provided by the touchline because it acts like a natural barrier to passing options and allows them to remain more compact so just in order for that not to happen, being good on the ball is extremely important because it allows you a lot more flexibility and build-up because you want to maintain the ball central as long as possible to stop the opposition from coming compact. Um, but that's not to say I want like a controller-type midfielder either because I, well, I'm not a big fan of the term controller semantically anyway because it's unrealistic for a player to single-handedly control a game because everyone's often under quite high amounts of pressure. And football's quite interdependent, so you need quality around them. You can't expect one person to do everything. So, but it's being, you know, the central player and all that, they do need to have 
you know, a lot of technical quality and have, you know, be quick in their thinking, have a good speed of thought. If you're looking to dominate because of the crucial to the team's build up, and that's essentially it. And I've talked a bit about what the negative effects of having a player, but there are also some positives. Like if they're actually good on the ball rather than just not being bad. And one of which I like quite a lot is, you know, being able to beta press on teams. You know, the primary function of that is quite self-explanatory. You want to kind of tempt the opposition to pressing you. And the main reason to do this is really to try and create space higher up the pitch. That's quite an attacking strategy. And for it to work, you need to be able to have somebody who's able to quickly recycle the ball and who you can trust in like high risk situations when a turnover is possible. So you need somebody who is good and has that speed of thought, as I've mentioned previously, because it develops an artificial counter-attack, by which I mean you know, just there's a lot of space exposed because the players are out of position. So I value somebody who is able to do move the ball extremely quickly and precisely. But then someone like Jorginho exhibits that skill set. But he wouldn't be my choice because you also need to be at least somewhat competent defensively. And while his deficiencies are often, you know, exaggerated, he's quite good positionally, but he struggles with the more traditional aspects. But I'd say positioning is most important in this position because, well, it's quite a structured role. You need to protect the space in between the lines. You don't really need to hassle and harry and chase a player. So it's more oriented around just intercepting and knowing where to be at the right time and preventing situations from occurring by cutting passing lanes and stuff. So I think if I was going to put a player to what I've kind of described, it would probably be someone like Carrick. But, or an earlier era of Busquets, although he doesn't have the same sort of long-range path to take advantage of the space through the short interchanges. But if I'm looking for a more modern equivalent, I'd probably say Frankie de Jong is probably the best. He, he isn't as physical, and being physically quite important because oftentimes when they're doing that, they have to use their body like someone like Matic. Like they'd use their elbows to hold off a player. But de Jong is still quite good at progressing the ball. And for any players we get near, even though he isn't that physical, he just doesn't have the defensive advantages of being able to win aerial duels and things like that. But I think he's probably the most similar player to what I'm looking for in the modern era. So in terms of, obviously, you've been saying that you would prefer someone that's better with the ball at their feet rather than somebody that's just more of a destroyer type or someone that's more defensively minded. Um, So going off on a bit of a tangent here, uh, what are your thoughts on Wilfred and Didi? As in, we know that a lot of people say that he's, you know, not one of the best players um, with the ball at his feet. And we often see that Leicester do bypass him uh, in the build-up centrally. So I wanted to get your thoughts on him. How do you rate him as a number six? I don't watch Leicester that often, but of what I've seen of him, he's obviously quite a good player, but I prefer him to be the second most advanced in the midfield because I feel that is more beneficial for a ball-winner type player because it allows them more positional freedom which is the most important thing when you're chasing after the ball, allows them to make more independent decisions, whereas from DM, you have to be more structured, you have to be, you have to kind of stay in position because your position is so crucial in between the lines. 
as a player, I don't mind him, but I wouldn't like him as a defensive midfielder. Although, obviously, Leicester do play quite short passing and stuff, but as you said, he is still a limiting factor, and you want to avoid limiting factors as often as you can. Yeah, I mean, in terms of our ideal sixes, I think I would agree that having a playmaking, or not a playmaking, but somebody that is at least competent, at the very least, and with the ball at their feet, is quite an important factor. Um, I think I definitely agree with the positional sense. I think that having a high football IQ, you know, being able to see where the space is, being able to defend, you know, thinking that one or two steps ahead, I think that's also very key for uh, number six. Um, you mentioned his name, Nemanja Matic. I think that, you know, in his prime, you know, at Chelsea, I think that he's probably my ideal six because... I know a lot of people might not like him because he's not too quick. You know, a lot of people would call him a slow six. But I don't think that he needed the pace because he was so intelligent that he he was ready in the space that he needed to be in. So, and obviously he could play the long passes. He could play the short passes. Like you said, he had the physical presence to be able to uh, dominate in the one-two setup in the midfield. So I think in terms of somebody that we've seen recently, I'd definitely put Nemanja Matic at my DM spot. Um, I mean, obviously, there are other players that you could put there. Um, you know, I think that in terms of playing a one-two, the physical presence is definitely something that you need. I mean, if you're having the two players in front of him, in front of the six, roaming a bit more, then obviously it's pretty much just going to be him deeper in the middle of the park. And I think if you're having a player like Fred, um, who although hasn't been playing as much for six, we've seen him quite deep recently for Manchester United. I think that, you know, that leads the teams thinking, you know what, we can get him here. And we even saw, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Troy Deeney was speaking about Fred and how they realised that, you know, he's not great on the ball um, in terms of his one or two touch passes. You know, he prefers to take four or five touches. And I agree with the general premise that Fred isn't a very good ball recycler. He is more of He's quite a good second most advanced midfielder, and he's quite a vertical player. Yeah. But actually, it comes to ball recycling, which is the most crucial element of being a six, just being able to keep the ball moving quickly to prevent the opposite from pressing. Yeah, I don't think Fred's that good at that. No. Uh, another thing about um, your, you know, ideal uh, number six. Do you think that he should be able to play as an auxiliary centre back, as in being able to drop into the back line and potentially create a free at the back system? Um. I wouldn't regard it as essential. I don't mind them dropping deep in build-up to create a three in possession or dropping back to allow the full-backs to attack. However, I have a general preference towards either the right-back or the left-back tucking in if you want to create a back three out of a four because I think they generally have a better skill set. And as I said, if I want this sort of technical player in midfield, I to accept that players like Busquets, Carrick, Matic, they aren't that common. Like they're quite rare to have the physical presence, the good decision making, great ball playing, astute defense. Like it's, it's a rare skill set, so I'd probably rather have a right back tuck into great three or left back. Um, one thing that I forgot to mention at the start was obviously we spoke about going with a 1 2 or a 2 1. Um, a team that I've been watching recently, I know you might not have watched a lot of them, but Sassuolo obviously playing with a 4 2 3 1. So they play with a obviously a 2-1 midfield. 
but they have a preference towards playing out wide or building out from the back using the wide positions. Obviously, um, press baiting with their fullbacks, um, using their wingers to drop deep and then the fullback overlaps. Obviously, that doesn't require much from the midfield. I mean, we see something kind of similar with Liverpool, obviously mostly opting to both build and create from their wide positions. So how would you regard like the importance of the midfield and... Yeah, how would you regard the importance of the midfield in those kind of systems? And would you still go with a one-two? Um, well, I watched Sassel more, I don't think it would have been 17, 18 when they played a back three midrot, so I haven't watched much of them recently. But as for Liverpool and them, they, Trent Alexander-Arnold in particular, is really good at switching the play, which is something, because when the ball's moved that way, typically it's like one of the most common pressing triggers so teams go on to them. And the easiest way to exploit that is because obviously they're overloading the ball side in an attempt to remain compact while applying pressure. So being able to switch the ball quickly is paramount and what that's what Trent's really good at doing. He can just play a cross-field pass. Robertson as well, but not to the same extent. So I think that's an important part of Liverpool play. They can kind of manipulate defensive positioning by switching side to side. So they don't really need the midfielder, whereas typically I think the work using is good. May pass it to a midfielder or a centre back who makes that switch, but you're not able to take advantage of the space as well because it happens slower because there's more actions in between. So I'm not necessarily against wide build up, like particularly in like a three at the back, like a five three two or a narrow system because all your play is naturally funneled wide, so the space is naturally located as like on the outlet. Like Inter are a good example of this this season. Like their main issues in build up has been that it's been. They, they've been trapped at the wing back far too often in build because of their narrow system. Because that's where the, the opponent at the space, and then the opponent stop properly pressing when the wing back gets the ball, and the wing back often becomes isolated. So that's one of my issues with a narrow system: is the wing back or the full back always has the most space, but is then the most vulnerable when they receive the ball. So ideally, I like to keep the ball centrally during build up, just because. It's much easier to press, but if you are a Liverpool-esque team and have the ability to switch flanks, it can work because you draw it's press bit and you draw the team onto you, so you create space in different areas of the pitch. So it can work to try and overload a side. However, I prefer to do that in positions higher up where the risk of losing the ball is less and where things like throw-ins can be more beneficial. Yeah, I mean, obviously, being able to play a one-two in the midfield. Um, it's, it's what Liverpool have been doing this season and obviously what we've seen Fabinho and Henderson playing in those roles um, what do you think you know Henderson specifically obviously he's been getting shouts for player of the year I completely disagree with those shouts but he has been a very good player this season so what do you think that Henderson especially excels at to be able to play as the deepest player but as and also so being able to play as the second midfielder. So obviously he's quite versatile. What do you think he's so good at to be able to do that? Well, he's really quite a dynamic player, which helps especially when playing as a more box-to-box player. Like He doesn't really get tight. He can maintain high energy levels for a long time, which helps when you're pressing like Liverpool. They don't like, be like the gig and press, however the press is a lot more structured than what it used to be, but it's still quite intense on the player. And he's, as for the deepest player, he does have a good passing range. Like he can pick up Hollywood. He isn't as good 
recycling the model Sergio Gino, but he's good enough that it isn't detrimental to Liverpool's build-up. And I just think generally he's quite well-rounded. He has no weaknesses to his game, which is very important in defensive midfield. It's a lot about not being bad rather than being good. Um, do you have any final comments surrounding the number six? Number six, um, I think I've let the majority out, but it's essentially, yeah, just, it's about, yeah, they need to be good on the ball. You don't want them to be a limiting factor because how crucial they are in build-up. So at the very least, you want them to be good at everything you want. It's the position you probably most want a well-rounded player in. So moving on to the two in front of him, uh, in front of the the six, what do you think? We'll start off with the less advanced player because I assume that you'd pay with one more advanced than the other. And yeah. so, yeah. what what kind of you know dynamics are you looking for within that player? You know, are you looking for a a box to box? Are you looking for a more of a deep deeper line playmaker, a destroyer? You know, what kind of player are you looking for? Um, with the second advanced midfielder, it's probably the position I prioritise ball winning and off the ball attributes the most because as I said the positional flexibility it allows it allows you them to be more fluid and make more independent decisions in their movement because the space being covered isn't as vital and focusing on the ball winning attribute that positional freedom allows them to break up counters with more ease because that can still be achieved through more advanced positioning you don't need them deep to be able to build up counters and they actually get like an extra layer of security provided by the defensive midfielder behind them when they perform like a high risk, let's call a tackle, a high risk action because you're committing yourself and you're leaving space exposed where you have to recover. So if they're unsuccessful, they can make a foul in a less dangerous area where they're less likely to get booked. And they're more likely to just, it's, well, the free kick is being taken in a place that the opposition is less likely to take advantage of them and they have extra security. So having something more oriented around winning the ball back helps aid pressing efforts to like the energy and like things along that line. Break up counterattacks and help break up counterattacks because of the greater position of freedom. I think if I was to Alan at Napoli serves as a really good example of this. Like under Sari the midfield is quite compact horizontally in a way where a centre forward would support pressing efforts when in Napoli's half creating like a vertical compactness. There was a controlled intensity to the pressing. Like they seek to move the ball, uh, the opposition in uncomfortable zones, rather than seek to turn over. And that's where Alan was crucial, because he was tasked primarily as the shuttler to try and manipulate the ball in wider positions, with there being a reluctance for him to actually go in centrally. So I kind of contradict my point previously about them being able to do more high-risk actions, but they can still do this as a specific example in Alan. I think his intensity and intelligence when pressing it allowed Napoli to get many of the benefits like experience, like associated with a diamond midfield, which is forcing the team out wide largely while only having three players. There's mobility and tactical discipline and often noted opposition counterattacks and allowed the attack to recover if the initial counterattack failed. So I feel like that's a crucial element of the fool is being able to prevent future counterattacks, whether that be through stifling the opposition and kind of forcing them into positions which are uncomfortable or through winning the ball back directly. However, there is obviously an offensive element to this rule. So you want them to be good off the ball, be able to provide 
wants to take advantage of this energy to kind of add extra dynamism to the attack and make attacks less predictable. So Alan probably doesn't serve as the best example there because he wasn't much of a goal threat. So I think in this position you want them to be a goal threat because coming back to deepest midfielders, why you don't want to play like that deep is because you can't take advantage of typically their energy and off the ball movement that comes with like a Vidal or Matuidi-esque figure. You don't want them sitting deepest because it limits what they can do in an offensive sense. However, when trying to think of the player that I think is best suited towards fitting within my team, I've said Vidal and Matuidi, but those, they're a bit past the peak now. Like a 2014-15 Vidal would probably be my ideal player in the zone. But since I lack that, I'd probably go for someone like Brozovic. As although he plays defensive midfielder for Inter, and probably could play defensive midfielder in this team because he's a really complete player. I think Simpson, he has a lot of tactical intelligence insofar as he knows how to manipulate a player's positioning. And he always has like the highest distance on statistics in Serie Like He provides that energy. He doesn't really have the goal threat. But again... Vidal, like a Vidal player doesn't really exist apart from Vidal and he's on the decline so yeah it's someone who contributes quite a lot defensively and has a bit of movement in the space to break a team down and provide an extra option when it comes to finalising a counter attack but it's more just about his ability to prevent attacks opposition attacks from materialising in the manner which they would like and taking advantage of space while not being detrimental on the ball, like he's really quite good on the ball as well. So he can still, like when a team's sitting deep, he can still help in that regard. Yeah, so obviously you'd want him to be pretty good on the ball to be able to, you know, not, pre- not pretty good, but at least competent, like I said before, um, for him to be able to both slot into the DM role um, if needs be, but also to be able to like not just be a passenger in the build up when it's being built through the central positions. So yeah. in in terms of you know a, a more modern player, I whenever you think whenever I think personally of someone that's you know breaking up counter attacks, mobile, you know I good off the balls, I my mind immediately goes to Fred. And you spoke about being a goal threat, but I don't think Fred is a goal threat. You know, his shooting's quite wayward, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but I think apart from that, you know, he has got a good pass on him. Uh, yes, he might take a bit too long on the ball at times, but that's surely something that you can, you know, help him out with, you know, instead of taking four or five touches, taking one or two. So to what extent would you have a player like Fred, who is more of a ball hustler, in your second most advanced midfielder? Yeah, I I quite like Fred as a second most advanced midfielder. He's kind of similar to Alan and what he offers in that they're both quite good on the ball, their main attributes are intensity. He's probably a better vertical passer than someone like Alan, but obviously is less good primarily off the ball. But yeah, I think Fred's a suitable option to be the second most advanced midfielder. I don't think, I don't know if I'd, I'm not placing him in my team because I prefer Brozovic when it comes to doing a similar thing. I just think he's a better player. But I can understand choosing Fred. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think that being able to slot into the sixth role isn't too important for me. 
I think that from the second most advanced controller, you want somebody that can link the midfield to the rest of the team. So both being able to link the midfield with the defense at times and also being able to link it with the attack. You know, um, when I think to my you know ideal midfield from what I've seen recently, at least, uh, my mind switches immediately. And this might be because I'm a Man United fan, but it immediately switches to the dynamic that Man United had last season, which was Matic, Herrera, Pogba. I think, although we haven't gotten to the most advanced midfielder yet, I think that just had a perfect balance of having one deeper midfielder, one box-to-box in Ander Herrera, who does, for the most part, fit the characteristics that you were talking about. You know, also being a goal threat, we did see him get a couple of goals. I think it was either against, I think it might have been against Chelsea, where he got one at the back stick after Pogba crossed it in. So I think, you know, Ander Herrera is probably who someone that I really liked. Um, in terms of modern day, I think Brozovic is a great shout. Um, I really like him. I think he's a very complete player. I think he's, you know, definitely a player that can play the, sec- um, the second most advanced midfielder. Um, you know, my mind also goes to, like I said before, Fred, um, potentially Locatelli as a solo. But I mean, yeah, um, if I had to pick one player, you know, playing there, I'd probably go for Ander Herrera from last season because although he's not the most technically gifted player, he's a player that really works well in the given system that I would want him to play in. Yeah, yeah, and no, I understand what you're getting at, yeah. <clears throat> Herrera is another example of like a box-to-box player who's quite good at shuttling, who's also good enough on the ball not to be detrimental. That is the crucial aspect is... They need to be good enough not to be detrimental on the ball, and then their off the ball attributes are what you want to be excellent. Yeah. So, in terms of okay, we've been talking about having a three-man midfield, of course, by either playing a one-two or a two-one. So, what do you think your second most advanced midfielder would look like in a diamond midfield? A diamond midfield. No, that's. I think we'd probably need to be. No, this is difficult. I've, we're still onto this. Um, I think probably of the shuttler type as well, because again, as I mentioned before, the most beneficial. I prefer diamond midfields as a defensive setup because I feel they're too limiting in attack, as they rely too heavily on your fullbacks being excellent, but also your centre backs being able to cover large amounts of space because two fullbacks are going to have to push up simultaneously. So you're going to need cover in the two central midfielders to try and prevent counter-attacks because those are the most positionally free. So I'd say you probably just want two players of the similar mode we've been speaking around about, like a Fred, Herrera, Rozovic, Alan type player. Just players who are good on the ball, can hit passes into space and stuff, but primarily they're good at preventing counter-attacks from arising. Um, another point, obviously we're talking about having, you know, one more advanced midfielder and one, and, you know, your second most advanced, um, which is probably the ideal setup for both you and I. But how, what do you think about, obviously, Pep Guardiola having adopted a system last season of having two free eights or 17, 18, sorry, of, you know, having two free number eights who can both go up and play and had little, little responsibility in terms of defensively. Um, in terms of tracking back, and that work was more left to the one 
midfielder who was deeper, which would have obviously been Fernandinho. So what are your thoughts on having, you know, two high eights instead of having one, you know, more box-to-box, more shuttle attack midfielder and one more advanced? Well, the way Man City play, it's all about sustaining attacks as high as possible. And you want to keep the ball within the opposition's, opposite, the opposition's third as long as possible, even when you don't have possession. It isn't as extreme as when it bars it, but Pep puts a lot of thought into what happens exactly when you lose the ball. That's one of the most important things when thinking about your play on the ball is what happens instantly once you lose the ball. So City are always in a really good position to press. Like Even like Kevin De Bruyne is, a very, is very good at pressing. So they're all extremely intelligent and the way the attack is quite wide, they try and get even players like De Bruyne to overlap. If you're speaking about 16, 17, uh, 17 18, you had Sani and Sterling acting as wingers on like the side of the preferred foot. So I think that plays into it. But you've also seen De Bruyne move into be like a 10 occasionally this season, which provides like an extra bit of compactness as well. But as when it comes to 2 3 three eights, yeah, I feel like it can work defensively because you're committing that many men forward. And then that's also supported by inverting the wing backs often so the counter-attacks are funneled down the flanks. And obviously through tactical fouling, so you're committing that many men forward, so as soon as a break happens, you just have to take someone down. It's like the last, well, not last results, one of the first results. So, yeah, it's, I think the tactical fouling, having enough numbers to be quite a compact counter-press and having a good player like Fernandinho there who knows when to foul, quite good at winning possession back and things like that. Yeah, I mean, obviously another aspect that I think Fernandinho, you know, isn't really spoken about with him is his ability on the ball. And although we have moved on from our number six, um, we didn't really talk about him much or, you know, a player like him much. And although he doesn't have the physical presence, which I would want from my um, deepest midfielder, I feel like he was very good at being able to play in the middle by himself um, whilst allowing the rest of his team, like you say, to go on and, you know, have a high level of sustained attacks. And I think that you, if you're playing, obviously a lot of our ideal midfields are going to be dependent on what kind of system and what kind of players we're playing with. But I think to what extent, you have to wonder to what extent can you only play two free eights or can you only play two more advanced midfielders when you have a high level of territory and possession? Because when you have a high level of territory, when you have over 60% possession and territory, I think that shows that you're sustaining quite a few attacks or you're quite advanced, you know, most of the time. And I think that would allow you to be able to play with the, the two free eights um, like Pep Guardiola has done. But if you're playing in a system... That is more, you know, we're going to battle you in the midfield. And if we lose the midfield battle, or if we win the midfield battle, that's going to decide the game, you know, and we're not really going to have over 60% possession. So I think it obviously, like most things in football, depends on the system and the players that we're playing around them and also the level of the the quality of the opposition side. Yeah, no, that's an important thing you brought up is that everything is highly contextualised. So we're like talking in this like hypothetical realm of robot build or best midfield, but that doesn't actually happen in real football. So you do face an opposition. You aren't always able to assert your dominance. And there are 
seven players who aren't midfielders as well. So you need to take that into consideration, like outfield players. So it's yeah, but so sustain sustain attack the way City do obviously isn't just the midfield. The fullbacks often push up high or invert, and then you also have the wingers centre forward who are all dedicated towards a pressing effort as well. Yeah, so it's important not to view these things in isolation. Yeah. Um, so any final remarks regarding the second most advanced midfielder? Um, not that I can think of. All right. So moving on to our last midfielder that we would have in our you know one-two um, midfield setup. Obviously, we we've both been talking about this going to have to be the most advanced midfielder. Um, you know, for me, that's obviously being in number eight or potentially being, you know, that's, you know, role of, I don't really want to say it much, but this wing fielder where you're playing on yeah. the outside um, and drifting outside. So what would you say is your ideal role for the most advanced midfielder? All right, I'll start off with saying why I didn't choose to play a 10 other than obviously not want to double pivot. It's yeah. because I feel the way the majority of teams set up, particularly those that sit deep, is the space around the 10 is probably the most protected zone. So you don't want that space to be, you don't want your best player within that space, which they're restricted and the opposition automatically set up to neuter them. Because if you want, you want your better player to be, you want the opposition to have to adapt around your better player rather than your better player already being within where they want to be. So like, because space in between the lines is protected more in modern football. That's why you've seen the decline of the 10, you know, whatever that's supposed to mean. Because the 10 obviously still does hold usefulness. I just, I just think it's less as a creative midfielder these days because teams naturally crowd the space around them. Like it isn't, doesn't need to be like a special preparation at man marking. So that's why I prefer them deeper because they can influence the game more. And they force the opposition to adapt more around them. And as for the attributes I look for, I want someone who's capable of like offering a high energy game, but also being good technically in order to sustain attacks and keep the ball in the opposition's third or the middle third in this instance, because the way I'm inclined to play isn't very similar to Pep Guardiola. So it's more of a stifling attack rather than trying to win the ball back as quick as possible. So like thinking someone like Oscar at Chelsea has similar attributes to that. However, considering it's an ideal XI, and this is the most attacking midfielder, you obviously want someone of quite high quality in other areas while continuing to have a great work rate. So that's why I'd probably choose Kevin De Bruyne, because he has something really unique in this high-level crossing, which can be used to break down teams, which is a useful asset again deeper blocks, which this ideal midfield will face often, considering it's a good side. And as I said, he works hard. He's going the ball, he possesses a goal threat from range. And he's just really quite complete and offers what you want. He can overlap with the right back. It's yeah, he just can do whatever you really need from an attacking midfielder. So, what do you think the role of the most advanced midfielder, say you're Kevin De Bruyne, what do you think his role is when the team's building deep? You know, where's he going to be positionally? What's he going to be trying to do? Um, he's probably going to be on a similar level to the second most advanced midfielder. So, he'll probably be 
be a bit of symmetry there because he's looking to link up space in between the lines like when the opposition press that's the, one of the advantages of playing a two in front of the one if you have space in between the lines then you try and take advantage of that when the opposition do a press so you probably want him a, di- a bit deeper to progress with bo- the ball and also offer some support in possession so during build up he's likely to be quite deep yeah like not like extremely deep, but just like a similar level to the majority of four three threes. Just you know, the defense midfielder who's behind and then two passing options to form a triangle in front of him and then once the opposition's been baited onto you, he can take advantage of the spacing between the lines, which you don't get with a ten, because with a ten it's often the two deepest midfielders are tightly marked by the opposition's central midfielders and or striker. If they're not pressing centre backs, and then um, you have the ten who drops deep, but then you have no one in between the lines to connect. So I feel like having him at a similar level to the second most advanced midfielder allows you to take advantage of the space in the centre of the pitch more, and then from there you can look to launch attacks. So you use the word symmetry, and you know personally, I think that symmetry. Horizontally is quite important. So having the the midfield balanced out, I think having the deeper midfielder, the more attacking midfielder, and then the box to box midfielder. So horizontally symmetrical, essentially. Um, but also there are people that would prefer a vertically symmetrical system. So what are your thoughts on you know having symmetry within your midfield? Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of symmetry overall because well asymmetry arises naturally because you want to form overloads. And the way you form of rules is by committing more players to one side of the pitch. And as you can probably tell, when I'm like, as I've been describing my players, I've been quite heavily influenced by watching Sarri's Napoli. Yeah. So asymmetry is quite a large feature of the way they play because it, facil- while it facilitates overloads while maintaining defensive solidity. So you get all the advantages of being able to overload a certain position, creating space on the opposite flank while not being exposed defensively because, well, in this case, it was usually Husai who played more defensively. He's not a midfielder, but... So in the midfield, yeah, I think you probably do need a more attacking midfielder than the side you're generally going to attack them more. And I feel the way I've set up my midfield suits that as well. So De Bruyne will be in a more advanced position largely than compared to Obrozovic here, who more be the player looking to capitalise upon the space or less involved in play but still committed to creating the overload. So I think asymmetry is something that can be very valuable, yeah. I I think that in terms of your most advanced midfielder in the 1-2 setup, I think they should definitely be one of your most technically gifted players on the football pitch. I think that he is. you're going to be looking to him mainly to be able to, you know, break down the lower blocks when you do come up against them. So obviously you can have a systematic approach um, in which you might build up wide, uh, you know, Liverpool-esque, like we said before. But I think that, you know, when we have our eights, essentially, I would say that one of his most key functions for me personally would be to be able to break down the, the opposition's, you know, midfield and or is oh and or their defensive block. So 
I think that physical presence isn't much of a you know a requirement. Obviously, it's, it's ideal to have a, a good player physically, um, a large. But I think that having a more technical player that's able to break down the defenses and able to make stuff happen is probably one of the most important things for my number eight. And I mean, I hate to go with this many United players, but I think that Paul Pogba probably one of the best players in the world in terms of being able to, you know, carry a team and being able to break down teams by himself. I think that given the freedom, he's able to, you know, drop deeper and like you've mentioned, create symmetry with the second most advanced midfielder um, in the build-up. But also when he's more advanced, he can provide those, you know, later runs into the box. You know, I think that while he does fit a lot of the requirements to play as the second most advanced midfielder, I think that would just be limiting Pogba. And I think that one of the things that you really can't look to do is limit one of your best players. So I think, yeah, I can completely understand the Kevin De Bruyne um, shouts. Obviously, he's a highly versatile player, you know, very good in a pressing team. And Pogba won't deliver the same standard of pressing as Kevin De Bruyne would, um, understandably. So I think it depends, really. If you're if you're a high-pressing team, I would probably also go with Kevin De Bruyne as the most advanced midfielder. But if you're looking, if you're a team that is constantly up the field and you're not really, you know, your midfield isn't really the, the main aspect of your press I, I think that I would have Paul Pogba in there because I don't think there's anything that you can't do that you'd want from your most advanced midfielder Yeah no I think you brought up something pertinent when you described Pogba during build up he is good at single handedly carrying a team forward he has like a sim- similar to like remember Moussa Dembele like he's able to just kind of yeah. dribble through midfield himself he does sometimes get caught out in those occasions where he gets caught out or obviously clipped up and put on Twitter and stuff and then it's like oh yeah look at that Pogba got caught but the majority of times, it works. He does have a tendency to do well on the ball, which hurts in that position. But generally, he's good at bringing the ball forward and doing a lot of things himself. He's good at being like a one-man transition, which is useful, and I can understand within the context. However, it is limiting in another regard because it works within the context of a team which isn't functioning correctly. But in a team where the build-up is more systemic, you don't want a player with that express themselves that much almost. Although I do trust that he'd be able to adapt because he's an intelligent enough player. I chose the Bruyne for the reasons you kind of outlined. I feel he's more suited to a team which seeks to sustain pressure high because while I wouldn't be pressing that intensely, like it wouldn't be like a Gagan press, but it would it'd be more similar to like how Liverpool or Athletic Madrid press high is to... Kind of just, it's the stifle counter-attacks. It's preventing space from arising rather than trying to win the ball back. And I think Kevin De Bruyne is good at offering that intensity, whereas Pogba is like less agile and probably has a poorer work rate, although that's obviously an ad, something which is exaggerated often as well. Um, so obviously we've spoken about not having a 10 in our modern-day midfield. So... What do you think? Say you had a player like 
um, an early Arsenal Mesut Ozil or you know a Christian Eriksen that's at his peak probably um, how would you go about you know using them in your midfield or would you completely not use them at all would you adapt your system to the players you know what would your approach to be what would your approach to that be well yeah I think you need to adapt your system around the player if that's the job of the manager well it, it can't, the job of the manager is sometimes to like implement a philosophy and completely change the club however the majority of the time, especially because more appointments are doing short term, is for the manager to adapt around the players. So I think if you have a player of something like Ozil or Eriksen's quality, you kind of do need to adapt to them. Ozil's, I'll go Eriksen first because Eriksen is more adaptable. Eriksen, against smaller teams, I quite like the way Jose Mourinho used them for the short time he had them when he subbed them on, which was he used them as the deepest, uh, in, uh, as in, like the double pivot against teams when they sat deep as somebody who provided extra bit of quality in the ball to recycle and help sustain pressure by switching the ball from side to side when they didn't always have that from midfielder to midfield. So if you have someone like Dele Alley, 10, I feel like someone like Ericsson deep can work because he still provides that extra bit of quality and he gets more time on the ball when the opposition sit deep. However, I don't think you can do that long term because of for balance reasons. So I'd probably end up playing would I play him out wide? Uh, I'd probably, with someone like Eric, I think you'd probably play him out wide or deeper. With Ozil, you're more limited. Because as I said, I don't really like having a creative 10 because I feel they're limited in their positioning and to what they can do. So I'd probably try and slot Ozil in to being a more, like one of the wide attacking midfielders. Like how I'm playing De Bruyne or how Hamstrick played at Napoli. Although he's obviously different because he's more creative in orientation. So, yeah, it's difficult, but I'd probably play him a bit more retreated than a 10. Although, I'm not necessarily against the idea of playing him as a 10. It depends on who's around him as well, so it all depends on context. But within, like, Arsenal's team, like, let's just say I have like, Terreri, Genduzi, or something along those lines, I think I probably would play him as a 10. And then play narrow attackers, high fullbacks, and then have the two double, the double pivot quite, sit, sit quite deep for defensive solidity. But he'd also be tasked with quite a heavy pressing because if you're pushing two fullbacks up, you need to press quite high. Because before you have the compactness from them pushing past you, you're kind of wasting the opportunity if you don't. But it's quite a difficult question to answer. What would be your approach? Um, I think that if you have a player like, you know, Mess Ozil, I think you could definitely play him out wide. But I think by playing him out wide, you would have to make sure, like we said, it does depend on context, but I think you'd have to make sure that your left back, if you're playing him on the left-hand side, which we saw him do um, a bit at Arsenal um, early on, I think in Unai Emery's reign, or it might have been at, um, late in Arsenal Wenger's reign, I think that you have to have a fullback that's on the left-hand side that's being able to overlap and being able to, you know, take on the attacking burden off that left-hand side. Because if you just leave that left-hand side, you know, empty, we have a situation which we saw at Man United with Juan Bissaka after being isolated on the right-hand side, having no support, and then just being, you know, having having to recycle possession and obviously going nowhere with the ball. So I think it's, like you said, it's contextual. Everything in, most things in football are based on context. I think if you have the, the fullback to be able to overlap and take on the attacking burden that an inside forward would take on or a winger would take on, then I think that 
you know, I wouldn't really have a problem with playing a number 10 like Ozil out wide. You know, it's, if you look at a team like maybe, let's say, Fonseca's Roma, like they play like an extremely narrow front of uh, F3 behind the striker who often underlap and overlap with the fullback. Like they're quite fluid with the fullback. And that's like all kind of predicated on the idea of there being quite an intense count. Like the only way you can justify committing that many men forward and is through having quite an intense counter press afterwards. But then you also need two quite physical centre backs in a smalling and Mancini in this case, who can be trusted to defend the channel. So it's quite a risky way to play. But I think yeah, if you have someone like Ozil, you do kind of to play quite a narrow attack focused on short passing with high fullbacks. Yeah, I mean another thing that I just thought of was kind of how Sancho plays on the right hand side at Dortmund. So obviously he's not a you know an out and out winger. Um, usually likes to come in deeper or a better example would be Juan Mata when he, he does play out on the right hand side how he drifts inwards um, you know at Dortmund they have Hakimi who's great going forward and I think that if you have that if you were to have say Ozo on the right hand side and then Hakimi at right back I think that would be able to work yeah um, so final question in terms of our most advanced midfielder um, what do you think, if you had to pick one quality or one trait, what do you think is the most important for an, a number eight or a most advanced midfielder? Uh, it's highly contextual again, but I'd probably... Uh, it's difficult. Just one quality. Um, As in, what do you want your midfielder's best quality to be? Yeah, the, well, one of the things I was thinking of that was always on my mind was than having a good work rate. But that's probably not the thing you want to be best at. That's just something you want them to have. Yeah. So yeah, you'd probably say just... Is it a high quality pattern? Because creativity is more systemic. Like how you, you, Again, you want them to be good at it. I guess you, if you want them to be excellent at one, at one thing, it's probably chance creation, yeah. So I'd go chance creation, which is quite a broad term, which encompasses quite a lot, so I'm kind of cheating the question. But, yeah. <laughs> I'll say let's just say pass or like, technically the technique on the box shot until you get at long shots as well yeah it's I don't really know how to answer that question yeah but essentially a technique I mean for me personally it would be something along the lines of technique I mean being able to like I was talking about earlier being able to play the final ball um, and being that creative player the most creative player in the midfield that's probably what I look for the most um, so think, I think that's all for the for the most advanced midfielder uh, unless you have anything to add um, not that I can think of no you just kind of want to be good at like in all positions you want to be good at everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so you know concluding statements here I think one question I'd have to ask is, what do you think influenced your decisions in picking your your ideal midfield? You know, is it your ideal style of play or is it your just your ideal players um, on the whole? You know, what influenced those decisions? I noticed, I've noticed this quite a lot recently, which is I have like this subconscious Sari ball in my head because the first team I properly looked into for Sari's Napoli. And obviously that being a form of experience is subconsciously influenced how I see the game. 
So I think my midfield probably looks quite a lot like how Napoli's midfield looked in like 17-18, which was different to 16-17. It's a, a lot more structured in design. So it's primarily oriented around trying to prevent the opposition from generating counterattacks while simultaneously being able to create artificial counterattacking conditions. So it's a, it, it all comes down to both wanting to protect space while being able to both open up and capitalise upon space created, which can kind of be said for all teams. Like It's not unique. Like All teams seek to do that. But I think the way I've attempted to do that is through having two hard work, one particularly hard working and another who's more creative and orientated but is also hard working, both who provide a goal threat and both who are good at taking advantage of space while you have a deep midfielder who's good at creating space by drawing on a press. So I think it's all Mines is primarily being influenced by trying to prevent space from arising for the opposition and stifling counterattacks and how quickly they attack while being able to generate space and then exploit that space through the midfield. Yeah, I mean, I think for myself personally, I was probably most influenced by, although it is very recent, I think probably Solskjaer slash Mourinho midfield of having that, you know, um, the epitome of a balanced midfield, having the more defensive, the more offensive and in the box to box. I think that's probably influenced me the most. I think I really like that being able to balance your midfield out. And I think it gives you plenty of options, both offensively, you know, in terms of being able to commit the the two midfielders above the, the six, being able to commit both of them to the attacks, but also being able to um, be versatile with the, uh, the second most advanced midfielder and him being able to drop deeper and help with the ball progression. I think that that's probably one of the most, if not the most, um, influential factor that I took in when I was creating my ideal midfield. Um, so just for, you know, everyone listening, um, just like a quick summary of what your ideal midfield was and, you know, the players in it. Okay. So I chose Frankie de Jong because I feel He's very good at recycling possession and being able to dribble through a press. He's really quick press resistant, so he's good at bringing on a press and taking on advantage of that. But also, if the opponent don't press, he's good enough on the ball to still be an influential figure higher up the pitch. Well, he is still quite good defensively. He is quite good at the more traditional aspects of defending, has a good work rate, and is quite positionally astute. Although, as I said, ideally I'd have someone like Michael Carrick there, but I'm going for a more modern player. And then, second is Vansav Brozovic, because tactically he knows how to positionally manipulate the opposition in going out wide, and he has a high work rate. And for De Bruyne, it's just quality all round, combined with being good, being able to work hard, which supports the pressing team. Most footballers are able to work hard when tasked doing it, so... But I think he, he's, he, we have tangible evidence at City of him being able to do that. Yeah, I think for me, mine, I can't remember. I, I don't think I said who I put at the, the second most advanced midfielder, but. Did you say Fred or Herrera? I, I think you said a mine eight. I thought at least. Yeah, I was talking about Ander Herrera, but I don't reckon I put him into my most, into my <laughs> ideal midfield. I mean, Thinking what thinking about it, I think 
I'd probably go for Milinkovic Savic because although he, you know, isn't one of the best players in terms of being able to hassle the ball, being a ball hassler like Fred is and like Ander Herrera was to some extent, I think that he both brings the quality that you'd need and the adaptability that you'd want from your second most advanced midfielder, as well as being able to provide that balance that I think is one of the most important factors in building a midfield. So what I think my deepest midfielder, probably in Manja Matic, and then playing with Milinkovic Savic and probably Paul Pogba. Quite but, a um, pardon? Quite a tom of yeah. Um, physical presence is very important to me. I think that, yeah, I mean, obviously when you're able to dominate physically, I think that's one of the things that we've seen with Scott McTominay in the big games for Man United. Having that physical presence can so often be a key factor in deciding, you know, the game. It prevents teams from going long. Um, you can often get around a bit more. And I think, I think with my most advanced midfielder, I did choose Pogba, but, like we say, like we've been saying all of this podcast, I think it's highly contextual. And I think I might pick, um, pick Kevin De Bruyne if I was going for a team that was more orientated around gig and pressing as opposed to a team that was usually higher. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, say, I'm not, at least when Milinkovic Savage was linked to Mayonnaise during the transfer, I wasn't a big fan of the idea of him and Pogba playing in a midfield together. I think they're way too similar in the way they play. Like, I think they are different. And that Pogba's is more oriented around what he does on the ball, whereas Milinkovic Savage is more providing an outlet of possession. However, they have shared the similar weaknesses in that they can both sometimes fail when it comes to recovering, or positionally they like to roam. So, and they're both quite advanced in the way they like to play. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably go De Bruyne of us having Milinkovic Savage for Pogba as well. Yeah, I mean. I think the links for Milinkovic Savage were at the end of the 17-18 season, correct? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and I think at that point, you know, we'd only really seen Milinkovic Savage as, you know, the Pogba role, the most advanced midfielder. And I think in 18-19, he showed that he can be more disciplined and he can be that more balanced midfielder. I think I agree that, you know, Pogba, probably not the best player to put next to him in terms of being able to you know, um, have a complete midfield and have a midfield that has really no weaknesses overall. But I think that the benefits that you gain from playing both of them together, whilst limiting Milinkovic Savic and, you know, giving Pogba a more advanced role than he's seen recently, I think that gives you both a better balance and it gives you a hell of a lot of quality in the midfield. Yeah. Um, I think. Unless you have anything else to say? Uh, no, I'm happy with this one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, thanks for coming on. I'm pretty sure this is going to be episode one of the TF podcast. I'm so, sure I probably forgot seeing a lot of things if I listen over this again, but yeah. it's not in my mind anyway. Yeah, I probably should have taken some notes as long before doing this, but it's fine. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, yeah. I hope everyone listening to this has enjoyed the podcast. Um been quite a good conversation. I've certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I'd like to thank you, Jack, for coming on for episode one. That's all right. I enjoyed it, yeah. It's no issue for me. 
If you have enjoyed it, please make sure to follow both myself and Mazala8 on Twitter. And yeah, I hope we've just helped you um, getting through these relatively tough times. So I guess I'll see you all next time for episode two of the TF Podcast.